Well, good morning. As Pastor Tim alluded to a couple of weeks ago, we are uh, going to begin a new study. Uh, we recently, the, the preachers and pastors not named Charlie, uh, have been going through different series as uh, time has gone by, and we have, in a very short amount of time, relatively speaking, covered the entire Old Testament. Uh, from a very high level. Uh, Then we sort of dug in a little bit deeper as we have just recently completed our study of the Gospel of Mark. And praise the Lord, we're going to get ready to to put the plow even deeper uh, as we start uh, a series of messages from the book of Philippians. So if you will, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me uh, to the book of Philippians. Uh, And we, Lord willing, will take several weeks uh, to go through this uh, letter from the Apostle Paul. I I almost said very important, but uh, after all, uh, they're all very important, aren't they? Uh, As the Holy Spirit has inspired them, and I'm looking forward to it. And and Tim, knowing as he was sort of helping get the the preaching schedule together, knowing that I really appreciate, uh, you know, long, hard, deep, expository messages, uh, allowed me to begin uh, this very incredible study, and he gave me two verses. Uh, I can assure you I can still milk that for about 45 minutes or an hour, uh, somewhere along there, so don't, don't fear. We're, we're not going to get out any earlier than normal. Uh, so just uh, go ahead and get the sausage biscuit that you put in your pocket and uh, go ahead and munch away. No, uh, I am very... Uh, appreciative of the opportunity that, that you as this uh, collective body at Cornerstone has given me to uh, participate in the preaching of God's Word. And even as we look at primarily a couple of verses, but obviously we're going to be looking at much more than that, that I truly hope that we will uh, have our hearts that are open and ready to listen Uh, to the Word of God. There's a lot that could be said in an introductory message when you begin a study like this. Uh, It's helpful to understand that most likely uh, that this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi uh, was towards the end of his life, uh, not up against the end of his life, but later in years. Uh, And so that helps uh, to keep in mind that he has learned much about the ministry. He's learned much about what it means to be a minister of the gospel, uh, particularly as he is sitting in prison as a minister of the gospel. Uh, This is not the only time that Paul has been in prison as a minister of the gospel. But as you think about all of the things that he has accumulated in experience up to this point, it's very helpful for us to keep that in mind, understanding that the lives that we are called to live, while we might not know what lies before us from day to day, even as we were just singing earlier, we do know that we have a hope that lays ahead of us, and one day we will have the opportunity to sing praises before God forever around His throne. But until that day comes, it's important for us to know how we should live. And Paul helps us with that. There's a number of of themes that you may have heard 
uh, uh, different preachers and commentaries speak of when it comes to the book of Philippians. I remember as a teenager that we had uh, a guest speaker come in for a series of, of meetings through the week. Uh, and he devoted that week to talking about joy robbers. Uh, and as the book of Philippians uh, is often uh, uh, related to the joy that we have in our lives as believers. Uh, humility is a theme that some would like to characterize this book as teaching. Uh, Christ-likeness, if you know anything about the book of Philippians, you know that there is a lot dealing with being like Christ. And, and along with that is the idea of spiritual maturity uh, that seems to be pervasive through the verses of this letter. Regardless of what theme you may be familiar with, I believe that over the course of the next several weeks, you will see a lot of all of that. And that while we don't want to be narrow-minded and limit our appreciation for what the book of Philippians is about, that we will be aware of what God is speaking to us as the church through the Apostle Paul and how that will help us to glorify God. Now, whether we are beginning our journey in life uh, you may be a relatively out of school, whether it be high school or college, or uh, you may be towards the end of your life, having already experienced retirement. Or you may be somewhere along the way, plugging away, trying to figure your way out in life. I think that something that we can gain from the book of Philippians, specifically, as well as generally throughout the Word of God, is that somewhere between we will profit by understanding that our life is fulfilling when we joyfully surrender to our master's will and work as he has ordered it for our good and his glory. Our life is fulfilling when we joyfully surrender to our master's will and work as he has ordered it for our good and for his glory. Let's now read the first two verses. Follow along as I read. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I come to you for help, very aware that there is no amount of preparation There is no amount of appreciation of your word. There is no time that we can give to the reading of it that will substitute the work of your Holy Spirit in this moment. So, Father, I ask that you would speak, that we would see Christ, that I would be removed, that the distractions of our life would be removed, that the plans that we have for this afternoon, for the plans that we have for next week, and for the thoughts and the anxieties that we carry with us and the, and the troubles that we have brought through this past week, I pray that we will leave that behind. And may you open our hearts that we may pay attention to your word. That it would have its perfect work completed for this moment in our life today. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So where are we going to go this morning? Hopefully I will lead us through an understanding, not that you do not understand, but that we will all come together with an understanding of the role, number one, of what a slave of Jesus Christ is. 
but also the act of becoming and being a saint. And we'll look at a couple examples from the church at Philippi as Luke recorded them back in the book of Acts. And how God's sovereignty orchestrates all of that to his glory. It's thought it interesting that as Jessica was sharing with our Christian growth group, uh, she used that term orchestrated in describing how God worked out the details of her trip in planning it, carrying it through, and even to the point of where she was able to review it today. And I think that that's very important that we think in terms like that. That God is orchestrating. That God is in control. That it is our life, it is our choices, but God is sovereign. And we want to look today at how, particularly in the book of uh, Philippians, that God is orchestrating among his people. How he's bringing things together. How he's at work to do things for our good, but ultimately for his glory. And that we'll have a greater appreciation of that in our lives of service, as well as in our life of salvation. Whether you have come to that point in your life today or not, whether you have trusted Christ for many years or not, that we will understand slaves and saints and the sovereignty of God, how that all works together. Now, you may recall as we were reading the first verse here that Paul and Timothy, Paul in the English Standard Version described himself as a servant. And because of our history, particularly in our nation, but not just in our nation, but throughout Europe as well. Uh, the idea of slavery is one of those things that you really don't like to talk about. You like to lighten the load a little bit when you start communicating with people. But there are unmistakably different words in the Greek language that our New Testament was originally written in that carries different ideas. And this is one of those different ideas that oftentimes the term doulos in the Greek will be translated servant, even though we've got two or three other words that are commonly used for servant. I think that's important because I I believe that the Holy Spirit in giving us a different word wants to make a different extreme point in the fact that Paul is labeling himself as a slave, not a hired servant. He didn't look in the classifieds one day and say, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of bored with this Pharisee stuff and I'm looking for a different occupation. And so let me see, and oh, here's a job right here. They want somebody to be a servant for Jesus Christ. I wonder how much it pays. I wonder how much travel is going to be involved. I wonder what my office will be decorated like. No. When the Apostle Paul was arrested on his way to arrest more Christians... He became a slave because at that moment when he repented and placed his faith in Jesus Christ as his Lord, he was bought with a price. He was redeemed out of the slave market of sin and became, as we remember, you may think, remember the children of Israel, they were freed out of the bondage of Egypt so that they could serve or that they could become a slave to God. You say, well, preacher, that's really harsh when you, when you use terms like being a slave to God. That means I don't have any choices. I, don't, I have to do what he says. Well, hopefully by the time we're finished, that won't seem so repulsive or so distant from your understanding of who you are. Now, there's a lot of other terms that are used for a believer. We're the friend of God through Jesus Christ. We're, we're his friend. And then there are ways in which we are servants of the Lord. 
We're, we're brothers with Jesus Christ because we're joint heirs with him as Jesus Christ has redeemed us and now we are adopted sons and daughters of God, the Father. But let us not forget that one of the roles which we play as believers is that we are slaves. And Paul here uses this term and it's interesting to note that it's different from the term that he often would use in a letter, apostle. Now, if you were going to receive instruction or encouragement from someone, and you had the choice of listening to two different people, one who would call himself an apostle, or some sort of tainting it with the inflection of my voice here, aren't I? Apostle or slave? Which one's going to carry more authority in your mind, just naturally speaking? Well, I'm going to be a little bit more intimidated by someone who calls himself an apostle, someone who through Paul's life has had to demonstrate over and over and over again, listen, I'm an apostle. Yes, I was born out of season. No, I'm not one of the original twelve, but I'm an apostle. Hear what the Lord is saying. But at this point in his life, he, he writes a letter to these dear folks in Philippi, and he says, Paul... And Timothy, a slave of Christ Jesus. He's not doing some psychological warfare here. He's not trying to dupe them. But what he's trying to do is humbly present himself to these believers who he was responsible for many of them coming to know Christ as he established the church there that I'm just a slave of Christ, just like you are. And as we'll see in chapter 2, just like Jesus Christ came to be, as he came in the form of a slave. So the slave, as he also attributes to Timothy, I'm sure Timothy appreciated the fact that you know Paul just kind of grouped him in there together with him, that we're all slaves here. Uh, that he's a slave in Christ. And Pastor Charlie did a, a, a very nice job last Sunday as we were looking in Colossians chapter 3 of, of what it means to be in Christ. So I won't dwell very much with that. But I believe that you understand from the context that Paul is making it very clear that he's a slave of Christ. Uh, but he is uh, wanting to make it very clear that just as he told the church at Galatia, chapter 1 verse 10, uh, that if we're seeking to please men, we can't be the slave of God. So if you want to sort of, at the very onset, sort of identify, well, wait a minute, am I a slave of God or not? Well, one question you can ask yourself, are you trying to please other people? Are you trying to fulfill their role for you in life? Are you seeking to appease and, and gain their favor? Well, Paul said that you can't please men while at the same time serving as a slave to God. And we see this in Paul's life. And if you will, just go ahead and turn over to Acts chapter 16. We'll be there a little bit, even though the verses will be uh, on the, the screen for you if you do not have a text in front of you. But in Acts chapter 16, we see one of the elements of a slave is that they go where the Spirit leads. Now, Paul, and on this second missionary journey through Asia, 
was seeking to go in a certain direction, but he had a dream one night, and he, and, he, and he saw in his dream a Macedonian man who was like, Hey, come over here. And the Spirit was using that to tell Paul that you need to go into Macedonia where Philippi happens to be located. And notice in verse 7, when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now down in verse 10, And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is what you may hear, and you may, the, the old gospel song, Send the Light, talks about the Macedonian call. And oftentimes we'll identify people who surrender their lives to full-time missionary work as people who have heard the Macedonian call. This is where it comes from. So verse 11, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city some days. Now Philippi wasn't a great market like a New York City sort of city like Ephesus or Corinth. But it was a very uh, important city. It was very much agricultural. But you think about it. The things which you would have needed to live back 2,000 years ago, you would have wanted to be around agriculture. You would have wanted to be around the marketplace. You would have wanted to be around a lot of people. And when you were going through this area, Philippi would be one of the first places you come to. So it was an important place of business. And when Paul came there, which was a Roman colony, they remained there for several days. Now again, this may not seem like much, but you have to understand, there were no other Baptist churches that were holding meetings so Paul could just sort of fill pulpits. Paul was busy trailblazing for the gospel's sake. He was planting churches where the idea of church had never come about. And where he went was very important. Now, he didn't have to understand where he would wind up one day when he would write a letter back to the church at Philippi. He just needed to know where he was going today. And there may be days in which you, as a believer, may have plans to do something, to go somewhere. And they may fall apart. You may not go through with what you had planned to do. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, as we are to live by faith, as we seek to live day by day according to what His will is, that's not going to be that much of an issue. Again, Jessica was talking about the way that uh, the folks down in Guatemala, they just sort of had their, you know, uh, they lived not so much by somebody's schedule, but by what the day would bring about. A simpler sort of life. Because there weren't so many other things distracting them. And... Sometimes that drives me nuts. Because I'm, I'm very structural and analytical. I, I need to know what I'm doing six months from now so that I can prepare. Usually I prepare the night before, but that's all right. Uh, but usually I like to at least know what I'm doing so I know how much free time I've got. <laughs> because there might be something else that I'm planning that I need to procrastinate about. You know, procrastination is a lot of work. Have to be structured. But when it comes to the Christian life, 
We better be very careful about how deep we dig in. How deep we drive in those tent spikes. We understand that we're sojourners, but sometimes we take those long spikes that are really too long because we're not planning on moving anytime soon. The Apostle Paul was on the move. He was just going in a different direction, but he had to understand as a slave of God, as a slave of Christ Jesus, he had to move when the Spirit told him to move and go where the Spirit told him to go. But not only was he, as a slave of Jesus Christ, required to go where the Spirit leads, but he also, as a slave of Jesus Christ, would bear his mark. In Acts chapter 16, verse 19, when her owners, now up to this point, Paul has, as he was going around the city, had this nuisance following him. It was a young girl who was given over to a spirit of divination, fortune teller, if you will. Someone that you would not associate with the Apostle Paul in the Gospel. But yet she kept tagging along and everywhere he went, hey, this is the servant of the living God. This Right here, here's where the truth can be found. And you know, it's, it's, there's some people you just don't want to advertise for you, right? Uh, as I work for a a worldwide company, there are certain people that I cringe when I'm like, oh no, they're the ones that are, you know, uh, or you may do the same thing in your office or when you think about, you know, uh, if, you, if you have a certain team that you pull for, you have a certain interest in life and, and somebody that you weren't exactly crazy about starts to, you know, join you in that venture, you're like, oh man, maybe I need a second, you know, to think about what else I need to do. And Paul cast this spirit out. In the name of Christ. Well, (laughs) that made her of no use to her owner. And he was losing business. And he stirred up the community. When the in verse 19, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. That mean that's a that's a nice way of saying they were arrested. And dragged them into the marketplace. That's a nice way of saying they were dragged. Into the marketplace before the rulers. Verse 22. The crowd joined in attacking, attacking them. Not calling them names. Not giving them a harsh, stern look of shame. But they joined, which means the prior party was also attacking them. And the magistrates, the judges, the people who made the decisions on legal matters tore the garments off them. Not the ones who were attacking, but the ones who were being attacked. That would be Paul and his group. And gave orders to beat them with rods. They would strip the clothes off their back and lay them down and beat them with a cane. 39 times. <laughs> For just simply delivering this young girl from a spirit of divination. Paul, when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them in the prison.
In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. And we're familiar with boasting in the flesh, right? I did something good. I want you to see me. I want to get an award for it. I want a certificate for it. I, I, I was on the Little League team. Give me a trophy. I mean, we're all about, hey, look at me. Look what I've done. And, and especially if we do something noteworthy, uh, we, we want to boast. Well, Paul says, well, if many want to boast, let me boast. For gladly, for, for you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or put on airs and, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. Well, count me in that group. I'm too weak for that too. But Paul says, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. And he even admits, I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes last one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger of rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." And you think you had a bad week. Paul bore the mark of Christ in his body. And this term speaks of a, of a, of a mark that a, a soldier would have, or more importantly, as a slave would have. That they belong to someone. And it would be in their flesh so that they, you, know, you couldn't rub it off or you couldn't, put on, you know, you couldn't hide it. Paul bore the mark of Christ in his body, as he says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 19. In his flesh. Now, was there any special glory because he suffered in the flesh? No, but that's where he suffered. But he went on to say to the church at Corinth, I didn't just suffer that way, I suffer with all the anxiety I have for all the churches and all the worries and all the prayer concerns that they have. I'm suffering. More than anyone. I know, it sounds like I'm crazy, but I do. And as we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, we can say, yes, Paul, you did. But that's what a slave does. A slave bears the mark of his master in his body. We have brothers and sisters in Christ today. who while I rarely even received the rod of discipline from my parents, they are sitting in a jail cell right now having been beaten to the near point of death because of their faith in Christ. I can't relate to that. We have brothers and sisters in Christ today who are in an Islamic country 
or in a communist nation or in some other godless place in which because of their naming Jesus Christ as their master, naming themselves as a slave of Christ, they find themselves bearing His mark in their flesh. And that's what a slave should expect. We go where the Spirit leads, we, we bear His mark as He gives it to His slaves. So Paul, in identifying himself to the church at Philippi, I'm Paul, Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus to the saints. There's a reason for his ministry. There's fruit for his labor. Now the term saint just simply means holy or consecrated one, not in the sense in which we sing holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We're just simply talking about people that God is making like himself. We should be holy as He is holy. Amen. But this term is referring to people who have been set apart from, number one, the, the penalty of their sin because Jesus Christ has suffered on a cross and He has bore the wrath of God on Himself so that we might be free from that wrath. And so we have been set apart from the penalty of our sin. Jesus Christ has taken that upon Himself. He bore that mark in His body. But we're also set apart from the power of sin. As believers in Jesus Christ, we have been delivered and given a power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead so that we might overcome. As Pastor Chad reminded us, we're not perfect, but we've been given the ability to live a holy and godly life. As a matter of fact, we are called to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age looking for that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we've been given the power to do so as we've been set apart from the power of sin. And thankfully, bless God, we will be separated from the presence of sin. So when we think about saints, we're not talking about as some other representations of Christianity would suggest that people with halos around their head are waiting until you do something incredibly good like a miracle or living a certain amount of time and then all of a sudden we can attribute you sainthood upon you. No, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today through your repentant faith and what He did for you on a cross and it's saved you from your sins, you are a saint. We don't boast and say, hey, I'm a saint. But yes, we confidently say, thanks be to God, I am a saint. Not because of what I do, it's in spite of what I do. It's because of who He is and what He's done. And He's done that graciously for me. In God's sovereign work, both His will and working, as we'll talk about in chapter 2, is undergirding it all. Just as God sovereignly was, was making a slave out of Paul and out of all who believe in Him to, to go where He goes... He's sovereign over where you go. He's sovereign over what you do and how you are marked for Him. God is also sovereign in His work of, of bringing you in as a saint. We see this in Acts chapter 16 and verse 14 and 15. 
Paul, as he was going through looking for a prayer meeting, because uh, that's a good place to start telling people about Jesus Christ, one who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. She, was, she wasn't from Philippi, but she moved in because that was a place where she could sell her purple goods, which purple would indicate that you would have to have some rare uh, elements in being able to, to make purple cloth, and purple cloth was uh, very expensive. But she was also noted here as a worshiper of God. It doesn't mean that she was a believer or a saint at this point, but she was a worshiper of God. She had heard about the true God, and the Lord, I love this, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. I don't know about you, I've been in a lot of services where preachers did all kinds of stuff to make sure people kept their attention. I've heard rumors about people throwing hymn books to wake people up. I've never done that or seen that. Uh, It may have been needed. But you know what? When the Lord of God is working and His Spirit is moving through the preaching of His Word, He will open up hearts and He will make them listen. Thankfully, it's not my responsibility to make you listen. I, I, I hope that you are. God forbid that I would ever do anything to entertain you, to make you listen to me. But may His Spirit open up your heart and make you listen to Him. Because when she heard what was said, she was baptized. And the only reason why she was baptized is because she believed. And she believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. She was identified. She was marked now as a believer. And after she was baptized, in her household as well, you like that? Now this is not corporate where she was baptized for everybody, but they were baptized not because she was baptized. They, she, they were baptized because they believed. household was changed. And she urged us, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, now that's a small amount of time to be judged faithful, right? (laughs) But believer's baptism, that's a good identification of saying, okay, this person is following Jesus Christ, they've obeyed him, and so if you've counted me faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she prevailed upon us. In other words, she would not let us not stay at her house. A life was changed. Not because Paul burrowed on the carnival. Not because Paul had colorful posters to attract people's attention. Or a PowerPoint presentation. Or multicolored publications that he could pass out. Lives were added to the body of Christ because God opened up hearts and they listened. And they believed. And they were baptized. But Lydia's not the only one. We're probably more familiar with the next person, the, the Philippian jailer, because remember, where did Paul wind up after he was beaten? Paul and Silas were thrown in jail. And contrary to what some gospel songs or Bible lessons may have you believe, this account is not to tell you how God's going to deliver you out of your bad circumstances. Because if you understand the sovereign work of God, He will put you in those situations so that you can reach people for His glory. You say, how do you know that? Because I read the Bible. They were there just simply singing and praying. And in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. I wonder why they were listening. 
Got any hints from previous in the chapter? I think God was maybe opening up some, some hearts and they were listening, right? Or maybe they just sounded really bad like a bunch of cats outside and they couldn't help but listen to what they were doing. But what happened? Suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. He was scared for his life because it was believed that if you were guarding your prison and your prisoners left, well, who's responsible? You don't get a chance to go out and look for them. No, you're going to pay for their lives right now. And so he thought he would just kind of save them time. And in verse 30, then he brought... Or he uh, called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell, fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas had just told him, You're not going to be saved by taking your own life. Don't take your life, we're still here. They simply said, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. This is not just for you. This is for everybody that lives with you. Just like Lydia. The gospel is not just for her. It was for everybody that lived in her house. The gospel wasn't just for this Philippian jailer because he was there. Hey, this is a message you can take back home and they can believe too. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. He took him the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and was baptized at once, he and his family. In verse 34, then he brought them up into his house and set food before him. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. God sovereignly working. Not because he tripped up and said, hey, how did Paul and Silas ever get in jail? I turned my back one moment and no. God knew that there was a jailer in his household who were going to be saved. How do you get into jail? Well, in our day, hopefully you can maybe be a chaplain and you can do a, like a Bible study. But another way to get in jail is to be arrested. Paul's way was being arrested for not doing anything wrong. In our minds, that's not fair. That's not right. But nonetheless, God was sovereignly at work in calling and adding saints to the gospel. Paul understood that. So he'd say to the Corinthians in chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope is for you is unshaken, for as, as we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Don't think this was easy for Paul because he was sitting in prison. Just because he was singing songs in, uh, in, in, at midnight before God. Don't, don't think that this was an easy life. Remember, he just got beaten. But he understood that if he was suffering, it was for our suffering and for their salvation. 
Indeed, Paul says, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. When you make your plans, when you set out to do what you think you're going to do today, do you do it in the power of God or do you do it in your own strength? Are you trusting in your feeble wisdom or are you trusting a sovereign God to work through you and in you and for you? Paul says, on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And ultimately, Paul knew that there was going to be one ultimate deliverance forever. We should look at our circumstances with a greater context of what God is, what God is doing. And there were other brethren. Before Paul left Philippi, there were other brethren when they met at Lydia's house that they met with and were encouraged by. There were other saints also, as we see in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, that there were overseers and deacons. And this is something new or different than most, if any, of the letters that Paul wrote as well. Perhaps it was to signify that there was... um, an established leadership within each local assembly, which I happen to adhere to. That as the apostles were moving on, that now the church, having been built upon the great foundation of Jesus Christ and upon the prophets and the apostles, now the walls were being built through the leadership, being built up in faith and unity in Christ through the teaching of the elders. And that you had the deacons as well as an office, as he describes to his letter to Timothy in chapter 3, in which there's qualifications for both overseers and for deacons. And this is part of the group of saints that God has sovereignly added to the church so that they could serve him together in order and decency. Paul even goes on in Acts chapter 20, verse 28 and 29, talking about the overseer as being one who will feed and care for the sheep, particularly the ones as they were bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And they were to protect them from the wolves that were around to devour them. And deacons, again, compared that word servant being just simply transliterated to deacon, diakonos, to deacon, is the main common word that we have translated servant in the New Testament. And it's used multiple times in relation with the gospel, being a minister or being a servant of the gospel. And here is probably used in relation to a distinct office. One verse down. Three chapters and many other verses to go. But not today. We just want to look at this one last statement in verse 2. Grace and peace be unto you from God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is something that Paul uses in the salutation of all of his letters, and it's important for us to understand that the reason why he's using this combination is that grace... His expression of God towards man. And the result is peace. There's no other way. If you want to have peace with God, it has to come through God's grace. If you experience God's grace, it will result in peace. There's no other way of looking at it. And I want to ask you today, 
Are these yours? Have you experienced grace today? Do you have peace in your life today? Have you, do you have peace with God because you've been justified? Do you have the peace of God because you're trusting Him and thanking Him and taking all of your cares to Him? Wherever you're at in life, is that where you're at today? This past week, and I'll close with this, talking with Amy, you know, 30 years ago, some of you weren't thought of or born, and a few gray hairs in the back of my head are starting to show that I was here 30 years ago. 30 years ago this week, I was living the high life, getting ready to graduate from high school, which meant I would soon be taking my first trip alone. Of course, it was going to be my three haggling friends in my car to the beach. First time by myself. Hanging out with my girlfriend all summer long. Beginning my education soon to become a certified public accountant, which obviously meant I was going to be driving a Corvette <laughs> and not living on the farm. Life was good. And I had plans to make it even better. I didn't know about six weeks later that I would lose my first grandparent to death. That a friend from high school would commit suicide later that summer. In less than two years, I would be out of college. Or that that girlfriend would give me my ring back. And, you know, that she kept a chain that she wore it on. But, you know, I also didn't know that I'd be soon working with Youth for Christ going on a missions trip to Mexico, entering a Bible college, and, well, I met a new girl, and she hasn't given me my ring back. I also didn't think I would go through life with no children. I didn't think that I would officiate a funeral for a teenager from my church or have people that train me for ministry and serve with me in ministry abandon me. Well, and I also didn't know that I would eventually become a manager for the largest airline in the world and to serve on a wonderful team of pastors in the local church again. You say, well, that was a whirlwind of things, and that's exactly right. But none of those things I would have ever imagined 30 years ago. Some of you can look back over the past 30 years of your life and have a similar story. Some of you can't even imagine yourself 30 years from now. However, while I didn't know those things, God did. And as a matter of fact, He designed every one of those instances for me. And as I look back, I can see how some of those things connect to one another. I can see where I was being prepared for something else or for someone else. I can see where my experiences of being hurt was for somebody else's comfort down the road. And I can only joyfully thank God that as He sovereignly works through me as His slave, as I bear His mark, and as I go where He sends me to go, as a saint of God, I can rest in knowing that the book of Philippians is telling me about how to be like Christ. How I can enjoy the things in Christ. 
And I can only do that through His grace and according to the peace that He gives me in life. So you don't have to be like Jessica who just went on a trip to Guatemala. You don't have to be a graduate from high school. And by the way, this is a terrible you know, speech to give to a graduating class. But I was thinking about it. I haven't had that opportunity. But wherever you are in life, even if you look back and you can double the 30 years and think back, I know what I was doing 60 years ago. I can promise you, if you belong to God, it's all leading to one glorious and magnificent thing. And in all along the steps along the way, God has ordered them. You might like life a little bit better. I like to just kind of think that I'm making my own choices. When I get in trouble, God's going to help me out. I don't like that story. I like to know that God's in control. That would be like telling Michelangelo, you know what, I don't even look, look at your painting because even though you know what it's going to look like when you're finished, since you know, I don't want to see it. God already knows what my life looks like. God already knows what your life looks like. He's designed it. May we humbly go before Him and live it to His glory. Let's pray.